Hey, Big Brains listener, we have an extraordinary episode about a never-before-attempted medical feat. But first, I'd like to tell you about another podcast I think you may want to know about. It's called Seen on Radio, and the show has received lots of acclaim, including a Peabody Award nomination for its deep and engaging dives into the history and the very structure of American society. Seen on Radio's two recent documentary series is Seeing White and Men have explored racism and sexism in eye-opening ways. Check out Scene on Radio, that's S-C-E-N-E, on radio, from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University and PRX. Five years ago, Chicago resident Daru Smith started having trouble breathing. They ran some tests, and they told me I had a heart problem. I was just trying to figure out, like, a heart problem, like... How did this happen? Like, where did it come from? And they said that it was sarcoidosis in my heart. I didn't understand it. Sarcoidosis is a really rare condition that causes clusters of inflammatory cells to develop on organs. Eventually, it spread from Smith's heart to his liver and kidneys. To survive, he needed a triple transplant of all three organs, an incredibly rare medical procedure. With this heart failing, he was in the hospital at the University of Chicago Medicine, waiting on the donor list. Coincidentally, down the hall from his room was another patient in the exact same situation. Her name was Sarah McFarlane. It was really cool that to learn. I didn't know both of us were waiting for the same thing. In November 2018, McFarlane and Smith, who were both 29 years old, met each other in the hallways of the hospital, but neither of them knew that a Christmas surprise was on the way for both of them. I mean, I don't even think you could say what the odds are because they're, it's like uh, indescribable, right? I mean, it's infinitesimally low. That's Dr. Valuvin Jivanandam, or Val for short. He's in charge of heart transplants at the University of Chicago Medicine. His colleague, Dr. Talia Baker, is in charge of liver transplants. Transplant is what transplant is. It's always at the wrong time. It's always inconvenient, but it if an organ becomes available, that's what you do. The transplant surprise coming from Daru Smith and Sarah McFarlane would push these two doctors to attempt a medical feat that no one has ever tried to do. Back-to-back triple transplant surgeries. From the University of Chicago, this is Big Brains, a podcast about the stories behind the pivotal research and pioneering breakthroughs reshaping our world. On this episode, Drs. Val Jivanandam, Talia Baker, and a modern-day medical miracle. I'm your host, Paul Rand. Sarah McFarlane had been in and out of hospitals almost her entire life. So when I was 11, I caught a virus and it told my immune system to attack my heart. And they tried different options like um, pacemaker, medication, and it like, just continued to get worse. And that was because the immune system was making the heart um, fail. Her condition got so bad that she had to have her first heart transplant in 2001. Since then, um, your organ can start to get worse. We um, started then doing the reevaluation for a second heart transplant And while we were doing that in Michigan, um, they determined that my liver and my kidney were also struggling. In order to qualify as a a viable recipient for a transplant, you have to have all your systems clear to make sure that the organ's going into a healthy body. For me to receive a heart transplant, I was going to require all three. There was just one problem. 
Every hospital Sarah approached for a triple transplant turned her away. They all said the surgery was far too risky for them to perform, but Sarah's family refused to give up. Since we had been through this since I was 12, and we just kind of have done it as a team and a group, so like as much as it might seem, it's like more difficult for me because I'm like the one like in the hospital or having it done. They're like the ones that have to watch me go through it all or, or be there. McFarland's situation started to seem dire. She still couldn't find a hospital to take her case. One even told her family they should start making end-of-life plans. But then they reached out to the University of Chicago Medicine. We actually got an email, we read the email, and on paper, it's like, okay, you gotta be kidding. Uh, her father was very insistent that we need to meet Sarah, so uh, we had them come over to clinic. And I will say that the second you met the McFarlands, especially Sarah, you really want to do anything you could to help them. Meanwhile, for Daru Smith, watching his family suffer as his sarcoidosis took over his life was a difficult struggle. It was getting to the point to where like, I couldn't even keep up with my baby. Uh, like he would be on his bike and I'd be walking him and it'd be a struggle to keep up with him. But he's so smart and compassionate. He'd just be like, come on, daddy, you got it. Don't give up. I'll ride slow so you can stay with me, daddy. And like, that used to be the motivation and the wheel that pushed me. Like, come on, Daryl, you got this. You can do this. You can keep doing this. You can go. You can go. But it would be an honest struggle. Like, I feel like just trying to keep up with him, you know, trying to stay up with him. Smith was a truck driver, a job which took him across the country. Eventually, his illness got so bad that when he was out on the road, he would take extreme precautions. And sometimes, like, I would have to screenshot my mother the location that I met until I, like, you know, if I don't call you in the morning, by this time, this is when I'm supposed to be up. Call the ambulance. Call somebody. Then it happened. Smith caught a case of pneumonia, but with his condition, it pushed him to the brink. He was rushed to the University of Chicago, where he was seen by Dr. Val Givanandam. I mean, he came in practically dead. And then the first step was this kind of resurrect him from the dead, even before his transplant. Talia Baker, the head of liver surgery at the hospital, said it was really important for the transplant doctors to form a bond with Smith and McFarland, just like any transplant patients for that matter. And when you talk about what the luster and the art of transplant is, that's really what it is, a relationship that you form with these patients. They actually become part of a family. And so when you transplant somebody, you're marrying them. <laughs> and sometimes we will turn patients down if we cannot form that relationship with them for a variety of reasons, whether they're not listening to us, they're not compliant, they're taking alcohol or smoking, which they're not supposed to. So there's a lot of reasons where other than medical criteria, we may turn down a patient because we think that that marriage will fail. And from an organ utilization perspective, you're also taking three organs from very healthy people. So three kind of what we call primo organs. So you really have going to have the confidence going to one person. Right. And so you really have to have the confidence that that's going to result in excellent quality of life for that recipient afterwards. Otherwise, you've taken away the potential for a heart, a liver, and a kidney Understood. to be given to three separate people. 
Baker and Jeevanandam both saw exactly what they were looking for in Smith and McFarlane. Then, it was just a matter of waiting for donors. As the two patients spent weeks walking the halls of their ward, trying to keep up their strength, they bumped into each other, realizing they were in the same boat, and struck up a friendship that Smith said helped him stay positive when it felt like everything else was falling apart. I, I, that was a very nice compliment. I thought it's good to know that like my positivity and trying my best in the situation I am could help him relate and feel better and involved. Christmas was approaching, and neither Smith nor McFarlane had gotten the call. Despite McFarlane's positivity, Daru was losing hope. Until... I was sitting in there, and here, I'm not even going to say thank you to myself. I call myself talking to God, but I wasn't praying. I was just putting it out there. And I was like, God, I'm going to have me a donor within the next week. And I said it three times. And each time I got sterner and sterner. God, I'm going to have me a donor within the next week. God, I'm going to have me a donor within the next week. I believe that you speak stuff into existence. Two days later, Dr. Smith walked in. And uh, he was like, we got a possible match. The match came through, and Smith was rushed off to surgery. McFarlane was so happy to see her friend getting treated, even though she was still waiting for her own donor that she feared would never come. I think I do best when I try not to predict what will happen. Kind of the uncertainty sometimes helps me get through my more challenging situations, I guess. Then, in the middle of Smith's surgery, something shocking happened. The hospital got another call. McFarlane had a donor. Transplant is a spiritual journey, right? Because, you know, why is a tragedy for one person joy for another? You know, how does that even work in a, in a karmic or in a cosmic sense, right? And then you have two transplants that go back to back. Time was of the essence, and the transplant team was left with a decision. Do they try to perform these triple transplants back to back? Something no one else has ever done before. Well, first of all, realize that before these two, there's only 14 done in the entire world, right? And that is over 40 years of transplantation. And so now you're going to do two of those back to back. So the odds are, you know, I don't know how many transplants are done. Ron, probably about a million transplants are done, right? On Between annual basis, heart, livers, and kidneys. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you got 14 out of a million, and then you're taking two of them and doing them back to back. Mm -hmm. Transplant is what transplant is. It's always at the wrong time. It's always inconvenient, but it, if an organ becomes available, that's what you do. But the problem is, is that, you know, each one of the transplants has to go perfectly fine. And for her, you know, there was a lot of doubt about the technical challenges for the heart that would allow the other transplants to then occur. But you decided you guys thought you could pull it off. Yeah, and we thought we could pull it off. <laughs> the historic first attempted back-to-back -back triple transplant after the break. Capitalism is the engine of prosperity. Actually, it sows the seeds of its own demise. Could both be right? I'm Kate Waldock from Georgetown University. And I'm Luigi Zingales from the University of Chicago. We're the hosts of Capitalism, a podcast about what's working in capitalism today. And most importantly, what isn't. We're going to share the sort of irreverent banter you'd hear between economists at a bar. That is, if economists were to go to a bar. 
Subscribe to Capitalism. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. It seemed completely magical. In the middle of a triple transplant surgery, only the 16th ever done, the call came that a second set of organs was available. If the doctors were going to pull off the first back-to-back triple transplant, it would take perfect coordination. So there's three separate teams. There's a team for the heart, there's a team for the liver, and there's a team for the kidney. I think it's really important to remember that we work in a um, as a group, as a team. It's like a really well-orchestrated ballet. After 17 hours of surgery for Smith and 20 for McFarlane, Dr. Val Jivanandam Talia Baker, and the kidney surgeon, Yolanda Becker, pulled it off. The first ever back-to-back triple transplant surgery was successful. Well, I just think, holy God, thank God that went well. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I agree. I agree. It made me so happy, man. Because I was just thinking, like, you know, a lot of people, I just wait months and months for a kidney or just a liver. And I've been here a month and I got blessed with three organs, you know, so that kind of touched me, like it made me feel like I was real special. Like I got a true definition and a meaning for life, you know, so I was like real, real happy. Each day of the recovery, we all rounded together every day. And that was really a remarkable thing to see them getting better. And these two kids were um, inspiring. I mean, from post-op day one, they were both so motivated to get better and so grateful and immediately started talking about how grateful they were about their donors. Um, I think it's important for them to know that recipients do treat their organs well and that they give their second chance of life um, like meaning and they take care of it and they um, live their life to the fullest afterwards. And, and we've really did that for our first donor at this time. I think the other thing that's really interesting is that since we're able to pull them off, you know, we get more confidence in our team. So we actually have two more people who are waiting for heart, liver, kidneys. One person who we evaluated before these two patients had their transplants, and we thought that he would be too difficult to do because he's a six time into the chest. And so we didn't know we'd be able to actually get him done. So after we did these two patients, we revisited him, and now he's on the list to get a triple. And we have another person. So it was interesting. Like, I've been doing transplants now for almost 30 years. Got more recognition from these two transplants than what I've done for the last 30 years. If you had to say why that is, is it just the sheer um, novelty is probably the wrong word, but the coincidence of being able to do two, two triples back to back is what's making it so compelling? I think it's kind of magical. Yes, it Val is. Val keeps on talking about being spiritual. It really is. Like, how is that even possible? That one donor, I mean, the recipients that you're talking about who are in-house now, they've been waiting for a while, and who knows when they're going to get organ offers. Maybe they'll get them sequentially, Sequentially, too. too. (laughs) But there's something magical about transplant. It's been hugely fun to get all the attention because it kind of brings together the whole transplant community because I think one of the really important parts that we all feel being part of transplant is the ability to do a transplant 
is relatively well established now. We're all, of course, plagued by a lack of available organs to be able to offer our patients who we recognize need an organ transplant, whether it's a heart, lung, liver, kidney, pancreas, intestine. Nobody has enough organs um, available. But I think the pushing the envelope and being able to do something like not just a liver or just a heart or just a kidney and putting them all together and being able to do it well with excellent outcomes teaches us all that there's always the next level to get to. What that next level of transplantation might look like is both stunning and exciting. That's after the break. If you're listening to Big Brains, there's a good chance you consider yourself a lifelong learner. However, you may not know about the University of Chicago's Graham School and its focus on continuing liberal and professional studies. For more than a century, Graham has been a destination for lifelong learners. They offer courses online and in the classroom, bringing the transformative education UChicago is known for to students of all ages. To learn more about the courses, certificates, and degrees, visit graham.uchicago.edu. The transplant team at University of Chicago Medicine is proud of its accomplishment, but the doctors are still looking toward the future of transplantation. And what may be coming down the road in terms of innovation is shocking. You know, surgery, you can only innovate so much on doing the anastomoses. So from a surgery perspective, it's more about donor quality. Mm-hmm. You know, you take the heart out, you put it into a preservative solution, it literally goes into a pickle jar on ice and it gets <laughs> transported. And the question is, is that the best way to do it? Or uh, there are now machines that can actually um, perfuse the heart with warm blood, keep the heart beating, and perhaps keeping it beating for a much longer period of time. Right now, we only have four hours before you have to put it in. And uh, with the other machines, you can put it in for a much longer period of time. And perhaps then somebody is going to innovate you know, how can you maybe give some gene therapy or you can give some drugs to make the heart, let's say, you, can you mask the heart with something so you don't have a rejection? And then you can go for much longer term. Right now, um, if you get a heart transplant, uh, there's a 50% chance you live more than 16 years. Okay, and the reason uh, people aren't immortal is because there's like a chronic rejection that isn't really treated with medication. But what happens if you can somehow alter that organ because now you can perfuse the organ outside the body to uh, prevent that chronic rejection? Now you can make somebody last a lot longer. I mean, we often put in hearts from 15-year-olds or 20-year-olds. So, you know, maybe that heart will last a lot longer. So there's a lot of modifications of what we're doing with the heart. Then there's medication changes that occur with transplantation. And uh, also diagnosis of rejection, right? Because we give medication because of set doses, and some people may react to medication very differently. And maybe you don't have to give them such a high dose. Maybe you can get away with a much smaller dose. So it's more personalized medicine in terms of targeting rejection and infections that uh, is the next wave. So there are many, many aspects of transplant that are evolving. This whole idea of machine perfusion and organ recovery centers is, I believe, what's going to be the next thing in transplantation. So this whole idea of gene modification, of there's a lot of really important work being done in taking fatty livers 
and defatting them while they're outside the body so that they're more appropriate for transplantation and have better outcomes. There are ways to modulate the immune response as you go in. The liver is really um, protected from an immunological perspective. It's the organ that probably needs the least amount of immunosuppression. Heart is one of the ones that needs the most amount of immunosuppression. Um, so there are ways that we could modulate the immune response to the liver, which would perhaps leave the patient with a need for no immunosuppression after the transplant. So the, this idea of machine perfusion probably at a physiological temperature with modification of the organ on the outside and then transplantation is something that I think has yet to be really realized. So um, transplantation of donors is what we do now. But eventually, you know, the donors may come from animals. So that's called xenotransplantation. So in the past, of course, each animal has antigens that the human body reacts to and, you know, can hyperacute reject those organs. But now with a lot of gene modification, you can actually modify those organs and perhaps not express some of the antigens that are specifically antigenic. And so um, there's a lot of work done on xenotransplants. And there's also a lot of work done on recreating your own heart by using scaffolding and then perfusing the heart uh, or the scaffolding with stem cells to try to create uh, your own heart uh, when you need it on demand. So that would be done at some point in advance. So if you knew you were going to need it, you would start planning. Well, if you, let's say, had a massive heart attack and you know that your heart ejection fraction or your contractility is decreased, then you may start planning it right there and, you know, in anticipation of you needing one. And Interesting I think times ahead. Yeah, and also in other solid organs. Um, in kidney, for example, this whole idea of scaffolding down to stem cell repopulation of the scaffolds has gone pretty far already because the patients can be on dialysis, et cetera. But they're even using 3D printing to create those scaffoldings, which is kind of remarkable. That is remarkable. Big Brains is a production of the U Chicago Podcast Network. If you like what you heard, please give us a review and a rating. Our show is hosted by Paul M. Rand and produced by me, Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening.